0: Hey, it's NPR's book of the day. I'm Andrew Limbong.
1: I don't know about you, but the kind of advice I got from my dad when I first started working was along the lines of like, put your head down, just do the work and don't make too much noise. And you know, maybe that worked for him, but I'm not sure it's super applicable today especially if you are black or disabled or a woman. Journalist Alan Henry just wrote this book called "Seen, Heard and Paid, The New Work Rules for the Marginalized, which is about how to get ahead in the workplace and not get stuck, you know, being the person who's always making sure the conference room gets tidied up after a meeting. He talked to Anna Sale, who is guest hosting the NPR podcast It's Been a Minute, and we just wanted to play for you this excerpt of their conversation.
0: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Anna Sale. And I know it's summer, but we're going to talk about work for a little bit. Specifically, the tricky questions that can arise when you're trying to move up at work. Some of which are on the minds of interns here at NPR. How to gauge where you stand with your immediate supervisors or managers. How would you go about trying to get your foot in the door.
1: How do you advocate for yourself, Um, crossing that line between being grateful that you're in the room, but also advocating for yourself to have more and to exceed? What would be the best way to get my work done and be seen by the people on my team?
0: Questions like these come up for most everyone filling out a time card. But they take on added significance and stress for Black and brown workers, queer workers, disabled workers, or anyone marginalized.
1: So much of my career has been writing things where I solve a problem that I've had myself and then present that solution to other people. So hopefully if they stumble into a similar situation, then they will be able to find their way out without having to go through what I went through.
0: That's Alan Henry. He identifies as black and queer. He's an editor at Wired and the author of Seen, Heard, and Paid, the new work rules for the marginalized. So this book is a pep talk for people from marginalized backgrounds in the workplace. And I felt like the most provocative tip in it was this isn't just about doing a good job at work. This Mm -mm. is about prioritizing the work that's going to get you noticed, get you advanced, make sure you don't waste time doing the stuff that can be called office housekeeping. Um, In other words, it's not about working for them, the company, it's about making work work for you. Mm -hmm. And what felt provocative to me about that is, you know, I came of age at a time where, you know, you show up, you pay your dues, and that's how you're going to rise. Why isn't that your advice?
1: The concept of paying your dues has changed so much over the years, right? I mean, we don't have work environments where that social contract really holds anymore, where you come in and you do good work and you were recognized for the work that you do. And also to boot, I feel like that marginalized workers specifically don't get the privilege of recognition from People who lead them, ostensibly, mostly because the people who lead them are usually privileged people. They're usually white, cis, heterosexual men who reward some things more than others. And they don't acknowledge the social baggage that the people that they lead bring to the workplace with them. Or their own social baggage. Or their own social baggage, (laughs) for that matter. Yeah. So it's so challenging because. To me, I've seen so many people, and this is unique to the book because I thought it was just me at first, but Mm. then as I was writing it, I uncovered this world of research that points out that women specifically, but also explicitly women of color tend to get the office housework, right? The stuff that is necessary for a team to thrive, but it's not the stuff that is, oh yeah, you put it on your resume because that's a real big win that I got, and That means that they tend to stay in those roles where they're doing office housework all the time. And somebody else gets the glory work, they get the work that puts their name on the front of a trade publication, or they get to go to a conference and do a presentation.
0: You know, I thought about that. I'm a white woman. I'm a woman Mm. in journalism, and I have long been weary of becoming the go-to note taker. Like, I know Mm -hmm. how that can happen for women in the workplace. So if we're following your advice from the book about being reluctant to take on that busy work that's Mm -hmm. not going to serve us individually, professionally, what do you say back to the boss when they give you that assignment?
1: I mean, this is my easy way out. Sure, I'll take notes this time, but next time, can somebody else do it? Or maybe let's start around Robin. I'll take notes this time, and then Jim will take notes next time, and then Bill will take notes after that. You know, so you come kind of armed with a solution that uh, your manager, or your boss, and other people in the room can't really dispute. It's kind of like outplaying them.
0: Mm-hmm. It's coming with a solution and also saying, I'm noticing what you did there.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: You and, and you write, you can't look around at examples of what's working for all of your colleagues in a workplace. The sentence you have is just because it worked for your white colleagues, don't assume
1: it will work for your BIPOC self. That's you have right. to figure out,
0: it worked for them. Is that going to work for
1: me and my body? That lesson was tough because the very specific lesson was... Um, At Lifehacker, I used to write about time boxing, right? This concept of blocking off parts of your calendar for deep work. So between 8 and 11, blocked off my calendar. No one booked me for a meeting because that's when I'm responding to emails. And one of my peers had uh, no meeting Tuesdays. He blocked his whole Tuesday off to focus on the work that he needed to do. Everybody respected that. Everybody understood that was fine. I tried that. I blocked off a no meeting Thursdays. People just booked over me and then i found myself in the position of having to explain why i had control over my own schedule for me i have to worry about people thinking i'm lazy i have to worry about people thinking i'm not fun to work with or i'm not good to work with or i don't i'm difficult it's just it's a complete different dichotomy for like a white coworker versus a bipoc person versus a disabled person versus an lgbtq person in the workplace they all all of us have this baggage that we carry with us that we have to address when we try to do our jobs. And that's an extra job on top of the work we do.
0: And when you become sort of aligned with your boss, you write, that means your boss is looking for opportunities for you. If your priorities are aligned with your boss's priorities, you're more likely to rise in the workplace. But I want to ask you about when you take the opposite approach, Mm -hmm. which is looking around at the people at your level and saying, we ought to organize in opposition with management, whether that's being adversarial in a way like going on social media and talking about what's wrong with your company or management at your company, or organizing an open letter, or even starting a union organizing campaign. That's Mm -hmm. a very different approach. For sure. How do you advise people to make that calculation? When do you stand up and sort of gird yourself for the potential fallout?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because it speaks to something that's really important to me in workplaces and advice I give managers even is to look out for what level of psychological safety do you have in your workplace? Mm. Psychological safety is the word, right? If you feel empowered already to sit down with your manager and say, I have these grievances, I have these concerns, and I trust you to work with me to address them, then you have a great relationship. But at the same time, if you do not have that psychological safety at all, that's when it becomes time to rally the troops, right? To get other people with whom you share concerns to get together and come to the table with management or in opposition to management and say, these are our concerns and we really want you to address them. And a lot of it has to do in the individual level and how much energy do you want to give this workplace? right? Hmm. If you don't believe that this workplace can change or can change in a timetable that matters to you, then get out, (laughs) just leave, go somewhere else, which is an easy thing for me to say. But um, like for me at the New York Times, that place wouldn't have changed on a timetable that I was comfortable with. So when an opportunity came to me to leave and do something different, I took it, right? But I agonized over that. For many years, like whether or not I should stay or I should go. I mean, I'm a journalist and I was working at the Times in a role that was created for me. I should be at the peak of my career, right? I should be happy. And if I couldn't make this work, what does that say about me? Hmm. And ultimately, it took connecting with other people who reminded me that, no, this is systemic. No, it's not just you. And no, this happens in lots of places for me to say, no, okay, maybe it's not just me. Maybe it's the environment.
0: Those relationships are helped you see it wasn't you. Exactly. I want to ask you about a few scripts that you recommend. One is when a boss comes to you with something that you don't want to do, but you want to make sure Mm -hmm. they come
1: to you again with other opportunities. What do you say? Ah, no and or no but. (laughs) (laughs) I can't take total credit for that. That's uh, my old friend, Gina Trapani, uh, Lifehackers founding editor. She wrote a great article way, way, way long ago about saying no and the importance of saying no. And then I piggybacked on that with an article on how to say no without ruining your career. (laughs) The key there, (laughs) because it's so easy. It's so easy to say no and ruin your career. But it's key to be able to tell your manager that no, I don't necessarily have time for this right now because I'm working on all these other things that you may or may not be aware of. And we've all had managers in the past who know that we're doing work, but they don't know what we Particularly do. Particularly <laughs> with remote work. Yeah, absolutely. And they may know you're online in Slack, but they don't know what you're doing, you know? So like, I find it very important uh, to be able to tell a manager in many, as many different ways as possible, here's what's on my plate right now. In order for me to do that thing that you want me to do, I need to be able to back burner something else or take something off my plate and give it to someone else. And that's that kind of solutions forward amenability that you can bring to a manager and say, I'm not really saying no, <laughs> but what I am saying is I'm overworked and I would really love it if you would help me prioritize my work, which is also, by the way, is your job as my manager.
0: I want to ask you about getting paid, Alan. Yeah. You give the guidance that you're not going to get paid. You might not get paid what you're worth unless you know what other people are getting paid. For sure. How do you start that conversation? What is that first line in the email or the first sentence you say on a phone call? How do you ask people how much money they're making?
1: I feel like the conversation to this has shifted a bit away from how awkward it would be to be like, how much do you make in this role? Um, I think a lot of, discovery still happens in those informal networks, right? Over drinks, yes. (laughs) Over drinks, over ice cream or something like that, you know? Um, But I do think that we're in a place now where more people are talking about what a role is worth. And instead of asking a person, how much do you make? I find that it's really important to say, how much does this role make? And then asking other people, how much do you make in a similar role? right? Because then what you do is you get a kind of range that you then can aim for the top of, and then if you have to negotiate, work your way down. But um, unfortunately, as much as everybody's talking about salary transparency right now, I think that until it's not marginalized folks who have to lead that conversation, we're still going to be in a position where it's just uncomfortable to ask. Um, So yeah, you definitely have to make room and make friends to make room for drinks, to ask them, uh, honestly, how Mm -hmm. much is this job worth?
0: Not just just uncomfortable, risky.
1: Risky. Extremely risky. Yeah.
0: What would be the advice that you give white people in a workplace around salary Ah, transparency?
1: Tell people what you make. Uh, And I mean, informally, right? And also kind of, you know, when you leave a job, I find a lot of people have been doing this on Twitter, which I love. Hey, today is my last day at X institution. They're probably going to hire for my role. This is what I made based on the experience I have. And then another, another reader can say, well, okay, this person had 10 years experience. I have seven years experience, so I probably can't make as much as they did. But maybe I can ask for it and see what they're offering me. Just those mm-hmm. kinds of things are really helpful.
0: Taking on the onus of creating the psychological safety if you are a person not from a marginalized Absolutely. identity in the workplace. Alan, thank you so much for this book. Reading it, I thought... Yeah. I want to hand this to every person
1: I work with. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. (laughs) I hope hope you do. I hope everybody else does.
0: (laughs) Thanks again to Alan Henry. His new book is called Seen, Heard, and Paid. The new work rules for the marginalized. It's out now.